morning. That song always makes me think of uh, Sonny Williams who passed away earlier this year. I always think of the day when we'll be singing it all together in heaven and um, it's encouraging and kind of sad at the same time. Um, what a privilege to know that we'll all be together with the Lord. All right, open your Bibles to Judges, Judges chapter 6. Um, we're going through Old Testament characters, and um, it's been said before, but we'll read it again. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Um, Gideon's story is where we'll be looking today. Um, if I were to title the message, it'd be um, Gideon, a picture of God's grace and faithfulness. Gideon, a picture of God's grace and faithfulness. So Gideon's story is seen, um, kind of starts in Judges chapter 6 and then goes all the way to Judges 8.35 and he's mentioned again in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32. There's over 91 verses on Gideon. Uh, We'll be reading about a third of them today. It will be a little bit of reading um, but I'm excited to do it. Um, I timed it. It'll probably be between seven or eight minutes of reading today and um, I remember when I was a young kid we'd read at the dinner table and if we put our head down I doubt it's we weren't getting enough sleep, which meant going to bed earlier. So don't put your head down. Uh, Bear with. Stay strong. It says in 1 Timothy 4.13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So we're going to devote ourselves to that today. And uh, there will be some questions throughout the message that will relate to the text. Dad used to pull a sneaky one on me, and he'd stop right in the middle of reading. He said, what did I just read? And uh, that helped me learn how to be attentive. So open your Bibles, um, Judges. We'll start in chapter 6 and verse 11. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If it helps you to read along, great. If it helps you to close your eyes, great. Whatever it takes to focus on God's word. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord, and this is a pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. He said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Verse 16, The Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is with you who I speak. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Verse 19, so Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. 
Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Orpha, which belongs to the Abyssalites. Uh, we're going to skip the next section. Uh, Gideon is told to go tear down a strong place, an altar that his father had actually built. He goes and does it in night because of his fear, but he still obeys the Lord. Uh, we're going to go to verse 36 now, Judges 6:36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is a dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand. As you have said. And it was so when he rose early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me, let me speak just once more. Please let me test just one more fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece. Only in all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. Drop down now, chapter 7. Verse 4, um, Gideon is trying to muster an army together to go fight against uh, the, the Midianites. And, and um, they start off with around 22,000 people. Verse 4, the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water. I will test them. For you there send anyone. And this one shall go with you. Shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say this one shall not go with you shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink. Um, we see then kind of the end of verse 7 here down through verse 14. Um, the Lord reaffirms Gideon's faith again by letting him go down to the army, and he hears a a dream he hears from, is it off? Okay. Appreciate you guys and your attentiveness. I, I could have been talking for hours. <laughs> no worries. All right. So Gideon goes down, he hears a dream that was shared um, from the mouth of his enemies. He hears that God's plan is certain. Uh, we'll go to verse 15 of chapter 7. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided 300 men into three companies, put trumpets in the hands of all of them, and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and they smashed the jars that were in their hands. Verse 20, then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars they held in their left hand the torches and in their right hand the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against the army. 
Uh, we're going to skip uh, the rest of chapter 7 here, and uh, we'll pick up again in chapter 8 and verse 22. We see Gideon goes along and destroys um, the, the enemies of God. We also see there was some division among the Israelites. Some people had their feelings hurt that they weren't invited to the party. Um, Gideon wants his oldest son to kill two guys. It's a pretty crazy story if you haven't read it. His son doesn't want to do it. Gideon does the job. Um, some, some crazy exploits of war, and it's pretty standard for what we see in Judges here, uh, a time of God using men mightily to free his nation. But, but we'll pick up in 22 for our purposes today. Chapter 8, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us and your son and your grandsons also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in its earrings of its spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of the camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Orpha. And all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Verse 29, Jerubbabel, which is another name for Gideon, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons of his offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age. He was buried in the tomb of Joash's father at Ophrah of the Abyssalites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the balls and made Baal-bareth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. They did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubal, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for truth. We thank you that your word is truth. Lord, there's um, so much in this wonderful text about your faithfulness, about your grace. Lord, there's so many things we could look at today. I would ask that you would you'd show us what is truth today in your word, that you would guide us and lead us. I pray we would see God, the living God, in his word. I pray we would come to know the Lord Jesus better through the preaching of his word. And, and Lord, I would ask that you would remove distractions from our minds. Lord, we have just a few short minutes together to commit to you. Help us to stay focused as we look at your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your attentiveness in the reading of God's word. Um, uh, I was thinking of a story that would help illustrate our, our point today. When I share with kids, I always share a story first, and it seems like it helps adults too. Um, it helps me, so we're going to share a story. I was a freshman at UNI um, six years ago now, I would guess, and I know a lot of you students are starting off, you're in your first few weeks, so this may resonate with you, but my least favorite building on campus was Wright Hall, Wright, uh, W-R-I-G-H-T, I think, and, and it was as wrong as it could be, there's nothing right about it, um, it's kind of right in the middle of campus by the Union, and it's the math building, and uh, man, I remember just dragging my feet to go there, I had to take um, intro to statistics, statistical methods and something, you know, a lot of ways of saying you're going to struggle. Um, and, and the teacher was uh, Dr. Klein. I'll remember him probably for the rest of my life. And 
he kind of had his way of doing things, and I think he was about 75, and he wasn't about to change for anyone. And I remember struggling. I mean, I struggled, and I struggled, and, and I, he had a little bit of a soft spot in his heart if you would go to his office hours. No one really would visit him. He was a little bit harsh in class, but if you'd go to his office hours, I, I had heard that you could maybe plead your case a little bit. And uh, our first unit test we got back, I think I got a 40%. And um, I was questioning my life decisions. If, if one of my friends was told earlier that day by their counselor, I think you're more cut out for community college. And I said, I'm right behind you. <laughs> I said, I'm on my way. And so I, I remember I went to uh, Dr. Klein's office, and he kind of had his scruffy beard. And I walked in, I was holding my test, and, and he said, you did not do well. And I said, I, I was, is there even a way for me to pass? Like, do I just drop this class now? And he said, let me tell you how to solve these problems. And we sat there for about three hours, and we went through problem by problem by problem, every, every one that I had got wrong. And he explained it to me uh, way better than he ever had in class, and he literally showed me every right answer on the test. And he said, do you want to take the test again right now? I said, yes. <laughs> I mean, keep it, I mean, we had gone through every problem, and he gave me the right answers. It's almost embarrassing. We, we got done. I still only got an 80. <laughs> but I doubled my score, right? I mean, I felt, I was pretty happy. From a 40 to an 80, felt pretty incredible. And I remember I came back to him, and I handed him the sheet, and he graded it, and he found I got an 80. And he just gave me this look, and his face just... He just looked at me, and I, I could see in his face, he was just saying, what more do you need? I mean, what more do you need? I went through and gave you every single, I mean, he showed me how to do it. And uh, I, I passed by the skin of my teeth that class, and I felt bad I, I couldn't perform better for him, because he really had given me more than I needed, more than I think he gave any other student. And when I looked at the story of Gideon, um, you know, I see this picture of God's grace and faithfulness because God had given Gideon everything he needed. God had given Gideon everything he needed to do the assignment that he was given. There's five points I want to look at today um, with the time we have left. I want to look at Gideon's call, Gideon's charge, Gideon's complaint, Gideon's crutch, and Gideon's children. And we'll see... God's faithfulness in spite of Gideon's doubts. You know, I've heard um, a lot of messages on Gideon, you know, in Sunday school as a kid, and they spend a lot of time on the, you know, that first section about mighty man of valor and his fear and all those things, and, and I do want to address that, but there's something to be seen, I think, in, in the, the story of Gideon, where there's a lot of doubt with the word of God. As I was reading, I don't know if you were keeping track, I, I was struck by the number of times it says the Lord spoke to Gideon. Depending on how you count, it's 12 or 13 times the Lord spoke to Gideon. The Lord spoke to Gideon. Even after that angel disappeared, the, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus was speaking to Gideon, and then it said he left, and then the, the verse right after that, the Lord spoke to Gideon. So I, I believe he was hearing the audible voice of God. Um, you know, you fast forward a little bit, you see um, some other Old Testament characters. You see Ruth, we heard on Esther, um, Many others, they never heard the audible voice of God, but Gideon was given a unique opportunity to hear direct commandments from God. Gideon's call, the first call, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Gideon's call was to believe God's word. You know, you could say a lot of things about Gideon's call. Was he called to tear down 
idols? Was he called to defeat people? Was he called to judge? Was he called to lead people? And there's an argument to say yes, all of those things, but Gideon was called ultimately to believe God's word. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I was uh, studying this with some guys earlier this week, and 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 17 Paul writes, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. God is the one who calls. We are the ones who are to obey. And, and Gideon may get maybe a little bit of a, of a bad rap in some areas today, but I do want to credit Gideon. Gideon did obey God's call was not with perfect faith, it wasn't perfect obedience, and, and even in that first part where he has to go and destroy the idol, I think he gets a really bad rap for doing it at night. Um, he still obeyed God, and I think we can get really torn up sometimes on our motives with obeying God, on how we feel when we're obeying God. It's our call to obey God, and that starts with believing his word. Hebrews 5.4 talks about those who are called to priesthood. No one calls themselves to that. God calls to that. And God called Gideon to a work. He had spoke to him directly. An angel of the Lord had appeared to him. And I think, and this is my thought, I don't know that this is for sure, I think when he burned up that first sacrifice in front of him, I think what the Lord was trying to show Gideon was everything that you can do is, is nothing compared to my power. I would expect Gideon expected to come and eat this meal with the Lord maybe and he prepared the best of his food and, and he was trying to bring something of worth. I know when I have someone come over to my house, um, I, my, my first thing, I'll probably grumble to Layla under my breath, what do we got to eat? You know, what are we gonna get these people to eat? And I'm sure Gideon was probably feeling that same way. I gotta provide something, I gotta do something. But all that the Lord was asking Gideon to do was obey and he was trying to show him that the Lord was enough. When God calls us, it says in the New Testament multiple times, it's a holy calling. It's a holy calling. I think of others who are called in the Bible. Moses. Moses was called by God and he resisted. Um, Jacob was called by God and resisted. Even Thomas in the New Testament was called and, and he, he struggled without seeing physical signs. Deuteronomy 6.18, and it's reaffirmed again in Luke 4.12, says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. I think of, of Jesus when he's there being tempted by Satan, saying, no, this is not right. And Gideon required some tests of God before he was willing to fully trust him. Brother and sister in Christ, are we testing God when he calls us? It's a serious thought to think about the living God speaking to us and then us testing him. God should probably be the one testing us, right? I mean, God says, hey, I have an assignment for you. First, why don't you do some tests and I'll see if you can do it. Um, but that's not what God does here. God calls Gideon and then Gideon tests God. Do you see the grace of God? I mean, he could have struck Gideon dead as easy as he had struck that food on fire, but he didn't. He's trying to show something of himself to Gideon and something of himself to us. We are not to put the Lord our God to the test. We are to believe in God's word. Gideon's call was to believe God's word. Gideon's charge, moving on now, Gideon's charge was to destroy strongholds of sin. Ephesians 4 and 27 says that we should not be even giving the devil a foothold. Um, Hudson Taylor was a man who did many powerful, mighty deeds for God. And his quote reminds me of, of the story of Gideon. He says, God's work 
done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. You could uh, go back and watch some of the videos from last month with Sunday School for All Ages and see God's faithfulness to, to us as a church family here over the years. You could look in your own family and see God working. You could look in creation and see God working. You know, Gideon, Gideon was charged to destroy these strongholds of evil, and then God whittled his army down to 300 men. If you're doing a numbers, Dr. Klein might be proud of me. I, I did a little math. If you're doing numbers, that would mean there's 450 to 1 odds, meaning each person had to kill 450 people if they were going to do it man's way. Um, I'm looking out here today. Maybe if this room was packed full, we'd have about 300 people. And it'd be like us saying, hey, let's go and try to take on, I don't know, the city of Waterloo. Everyone, just us. We can do it. We can take them. And, um, you know, I think when you look to the natural things, you would cause doubt. But God was testing Gideon and seeing if he believed. You know, this reminds me of, of Elijah in 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, Elijah is also um, going up against the forces of evil. Elijah was charged just like Gideon to destroy strongholds of sin. And when he goes to offer sacrifices, they, they dump water on the sacrifices before God's fire comes and consumes it. It's as if God is saying, there's no other way this could be done except through me. And that's the message God is trying to get across, not just to Gideon, but to his people, the children of Israel. There's no other way this could be done except through the working of God. I ask you, friend, here today, what is the greatest trophy of God's grace? I would say it's the redemption of sinful man. The greatest trophy of God's grace is the redemption of sinful men. And God was redeeming sinful men here. If we had spent more time kind of studying how this story was laid out, we see that Israel had completely rejected their God. Gideon was even saying, where is this God who did these things for us? Almost accusing God of not being faithful to himself. Where if you look at Israel and God, it's not like God was ever unfaithful to Israel, but Israel time and time again was unfaithful to God. And God was trying to make a sign to them. He's trying to make a sign that's saying, I am the only one who can deliver. God's greatest trophy is redeeming men, and God is still in the business of redeeming men. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, you don't need to bring him a sacrifice. You don't need to go fight a battle on your own. You don't need to be tested by God. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. Gideon was called to believe God's word. Gideon was charged to destroy strongholds of evil. But here we get to Gideon's complaint. Gideon's complaint. Gideon's complaint was not said directly, but seen through his actions that God's word wasn't enough. God's word wasn't enough. Hebrews 4 and 12 says that God's word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. But Gideon was saying, I need something more than God's word. We see that Gideon wanted God's word plus a sign, God's command plus a fleece, God's victory plus Gideon's sword, God as a ruler plus Gideon's ephod. You know, the first sin that man committed was really not trusting that God's word was true. If you remember Adam and Eve in the garden, Satan said, did God really say? And that's what started the, the problem for mankind, we doubt that God's word is true. 
Um, Alex Lorson spoke a few weeks back on Samson. Samson, I think, struggled a lot with, with believing God's word to be true. And something Alex said was very insightful, and I've been thinking of it a lot since then. Do not mistake God using you with God being pleased with you. Do not mistake God using you with God being pleased with you. Prior to Gideon entering the story, God had been using the Midianites for his glory. Right? God had been using a wicked, wicked people. God can use very wicked people. God doesn't desire just that we be used, but he desires that we be obedient. So don't be mistaken. I, I see here with Gideon, he was used by God in so many ways, but his complaint against God was that his word wasn't enough. In our world today, the question is arising all around us, can we trust God? Have you heard that, can we trust God? Um, I've, when I talk to people in the workplace or, or at meetings in town, a lot of times you hear, I could never trust a God who, and then fill in the blank. I could never trust a God who, don't tell me about your God, and then they go on to share something that probably they've done or the devil has done or is a result of sin, and they blame that on God. I wish we had an hour today to spend together just talking about the faithfulness of God. Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? I, I listened to a powerful sermon this week. It really didn't have anything to do with preparation for this message, but if you have 22 minutes, go to Emmanuel Mission's Facebook page and listen to John Bloom. He shared a message before he died. John Bloom served the Lord faithfully at Kansas Bible Camp for many years, and then the Lord called him and his wife out to, I think, one of the hardest pieces of land in America, um, Emmanuel Mission. And uh, John served faithful, faithful, faithful years for the Lord. He was a principal and a teacher and, a, and really a pastor to the people there. And he has impacted many men of God that I look up to. John impacted their lives through camp ministry. John was inspired when he heard of uh, Jim Elliott and those guys getting killed for their faith. It inspired John to want to give his life for the Lord. And, and John's final message he preached is, you can hear the cancer is, is causing him so much pain. He said, God is not giving me cancer to punish me. In suffering, we see Jesus. And listen to that message if you want to hear about God's faithfulness. God can be trusted. God's word is true. You know, Gideon and the people of Israel had been experiencing suffering because of their sin. But God still proved to be true. And Gideon's complaint, I think, had no real um, basis. He had no reason to complain against God. Gideon's call was to believe God's word. His charge was to destroy the strongholds of sin, and his complaint was that God's word wasn't enough. Gideon's crutch, Gideon's crutch was to keep his eyes on temporary things. Gideon's crutch was to keep his eyes on temporary things. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul is writing his second letter to the Corinthian church, and he says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. We see after Gideon has obeyed God, destroyed a wicked, wicked nation, and brought peace to Israel, we see the people want to make him a ruler over them. And Gideon passes the first test. He says, I will not rule over you. I didn't do this. God will be your judge. And then in the very next breath, he says, but here's what I want. Friend, as you are out in your community, out in your life, and, and someone says, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. And then maybe they, they say, but what about this area in your life? 
You know, I think the, the children of Israel were looking at Gideon and seeing, what's he going to do now? And he said, I'm not going to rule over you, but I've got this one little area I'm going to keep for myself. I'm not going to give this one thing over to God. And that thing was for him keeping his eyes on temporary things of this world. He asked for gold and earrings. And in and of itself, asking for gold, I don't know if that was wrong. It's what he did with it. Um, if, if you convert the measurements to pounds today and, and you would convert that to our current price of gold, you'd say it was just about $950,000 worth of gold just in the earrings brought. And then they say they ripped some gold off the camels as well and from the people. And they bring all this gold and they melt it down and he makes an ephod. And it's a place for, for him to, to worship things that are not right. It, the spirit of God was on Gideon and he chose to fall back and relapse into himself. His crutch was that he was looking to these temporary things and not looking to Christ. This is sometimes so easy to do. Um, even this week I was convicted um, as I was preparing how much I worry about temporary things. If we were to take a, a, a measuring glass and say what a percentage of, of our time are we spent worried and, and, and struggling over temporary things, it's convicting. We need to keep our eyes on eternal things. I even think of what Gideon told the men to say for the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. You know, I used to always think that that was something that was great. Why not? Why not the sword of the Lord and for Gideon? But I wonder where that started. Where did Gideon think that he had a part to play, that his name should be put there with the name of the Lord? It wasn't the sword of the Lord in Gideon. It was just the sword of the Lord. But Gideon was looking to temporary things. I think he missed, missed out on some of the blessing God had for him. Gideon's call was to believe in God's word to a point he did, but not perfectly. His charge was to destroy strongholds of sin. And, and he started out so powerfully doing that and then relapsed right at the end of his life. Uh, Gideon's complaint that God's word wasn't enough, his crutch was to keep his eye on temporary things and I want to take a moment and look at Gideon's children. Gideon's children. It's something I, I really don't remember much being shared on as a young child. I guess I, I kind of guessed Gideon would probably have children. But if you look there at the end of, of chapter 8, Gideon had 70 sons of his own offspring. He took many wives. God had commanded his, his people to have one wife, and Gideon sinned and took many wives and then had many children. Look back up at verse 27, that ephod he made. Gideon made an ephod of it, and he put it in the city in Orpha, and all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Gideon's sin marked his descendants. Gideon's sin marked his descendants. When we take our eyes off of Christ, when we say, is his word enough? There's consequences, not just for us, but for those who are coming behind us, those who are looking to us. Is God's word enough for you? Is God's word enough for you? Gideon, the name Gideon means one who cuts down. And to his credit, he did obey God, and he cut down idols and altars and enemies of God, but he also cut away the hearts of his children from the Lord with his wicked actions. Idolatry has no place in the life of a believer. Idolatry has no place in the life of a believer. Not for one second should we place anything higher than Christ. Not ourselves, not our lives, nothing. 
Gideon turned to many wives. His, his heart was not fully committed to the Lord, and he fell back to some of his old ways of thinking. William MacDonald writes, when we turn from the Lord as Christians, old habits enslave and impoverish us. You see, we see this cycle in Judges. As you read through the book of Judges, and, and a lot of these Old Testament characters are in Judges, we see that doubt leads to fear. Doubt leads to fear. Even in God's people doubting, God proved himself faithful. Doubt leads to fear, but God would prove himself faithful. Fear would oftentimes lead to prayer. Fear would lead to prayer, and then God would prove himself faithful to answer those prayers. Prayer would lead to obedience, and then God would prove himself faithful when his people obeyed. Obedience would lead to victory, and then God would prove himself faithful again. Victory would lead to idolatry, and that's where we see Gideon ending his life. This victory led to idolatry. Even in that, God proved himself faithful. This idolatry would lead to backsliding, and then God would be faithful again to chasten his people, draw them back through suffering. But then this backsliding would lead to fear, and then doubt, and then prayer. And you follow the cycle, doubt to fear, fear to prayer, prayer to obedience, obedience to victory, victory to idolatry, idolatry to backsliding, backsliding to fear. And it's a cycle we see. And it starts when the people of God take their eyes off God and they say God's word is not enough for us. You know, a verse that I think comes to mind as we think on these things is be careful if you think you stand, lest you fall. Be careful if you think you stand. This is a charge. This is an exhortation to us. We have God's word. Gideon's children had no excuse for falling away from the Lord. They had the word of God. If we are going to be a people that are going to test God, we better have our knees about bleeding from prayer. If we're going to be a people that say God is not speaking, we better have the pages of this Bible about falling out. God's word is living and active. It's alive. We have it here to us today. God is faithful. God is gracious. His word is enough. His word is enough. You know, I saw a quote. I think it was meant facetiously, but there is some truth in it. It said, if, if you want to know God's word, open his book. If you want to know God's word, open his book. If you want to hear the audible voice of God, just read it out loud. <laughs> and and it, I, did, I did get a chuckle out of it, but there's so much truth there. Do you want to hear God's voice? Read his word. If Gideon would have just listened to God's word and not added anything else to it, I think he would have probably been one of the most biblical judges in the whole book. I mean, even in spite of his sin and his crutch and his doubts, Gideon had peace in Israel for 40 years. I mean, he was, it was incredible for the time how much peace was given in, in this man's life. Gideon is a picture of God's grace and faithfulness. God was so gracious to Gideon and so faithful, even despite his doubting the Lord. Paul Washer says, So much preaching today is just given to teach men how to navigate through this life, when instead we should be pointing those around us to look and delight in the character of God. Have you seen the character of God through the life of Gideon? Have you seen the character of God? God gave so many signs to Gideon, and, and when you look at your own life, have you seen the character of God in your life? Um, I would probably be ashamed if, if God were to write a story about me and write, how many fleeces have I asked the Lord for? How many signs have I demanded of God? How many reassurances have I needed? 
God has given me all things needed for life and godliness. We see that in the New Testament. We've been given all things needed, but still continually I would test God. You see, Gideon is a picture of God's grace despite his doubts, his complaints, his corruption, his rebellious children. God used him to bring peace for 40 years. Gideon was a sign to the people of Israel that God's word can be trusted. And Gideon showed the Israelites, and he now shows us that there is a need for a more perfect judge. Gideon was not the redeemer. He was a judge pointing to Christ. We will all stand before this judge someday. We will all stand before the Lord Jesus. My question's for you. Will you trust him? Do you trust him? Is he enough for you? Is the Lord Jesus enough for you? Do you believe that he's altogether faithful and that he's altogether gracious? Thank the Lord that God did not deal with me according to my works and God didn't deal with Gideon according to his works. He dealt with him according to his grace in his faithfulness. What more do we need? Nothing. All we have is Christ, and Christ is all we need. Praise God for the Lord Jesus this morning. Thank you for your attentiveness. It's been a privilege to share with you. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the life of Gideon. Thank you for a a picture that points to the Lord Jesus. We know that Gideon was not a perfect judge, but we have a perfect judge. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's coming back Pray that our eyes would be set on eternal things. We would not be cast to the right or the left, but we would stay focused on you. Lord, as we see Gideon um, testing the Lord many times and, and then ultimately obeying and then falling away, would we take heart and not put our hope in men, but put our hope in the Lord Jesus? Lord, I just ask that if, if you desire that, that men be convicted, that we would be convicted. If you desire for encouragement, that we would be encouraged. If you desire for understanding, that that would be what comes to us today. Lord, if there was anything that you did not want shared or wasn't profitable, would you just strike it from our minds as we go out? We thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.